Hey everyone, I'm Kevin Wallace from Redemption to the Nation's Church, and I'm grateful that we are going to have this opportunity to bring this message of hope, healing, and restoration to you and your family today. I want you to stay with me till the end. I'm going to come back and pray. Be blessed by the word of the Lord. God and are just amazing intercessors and dear friends of this community of faith. And she did a teaching some time ago about thin places. And she talked about how there were places where you go into the place to pray or you go into the place and it seems like God is just nearer and it doesn't take so long to get close to him. It's a thin space between you and him. How many want to live in a thin place? How many want to live your life in a thin place where it doesn't feel like you got to wait three days to find God, but you just walk in and know his presence is near? How many can say amen to that this morning? I want you to go to Luke chapter 12. And uh, I believe we started on verse 22, 22. Luke 12, 22, we're in a series called Thy Kingdom Come. I, I have no clue when we'll be done with this. We're just going to keep talking about the kingdom until everybody and everything that's connected to this house is living in the kingdom. How many know that God didn't come just so we could live in church? He came so we could have kingdom lives. Somebody say amen. So I want you to go to Luke chapter 12, verse 22. When you have it, say amen. amen. Then Jesus said to his disciples, say disciples. Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body or what you will put on. Life is more than food, and the body is more than clothing. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap, which have neither storehouse nor barn, and God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you by worrying, and which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? Keep going, please. Verse 27. If you then are not able to do the least, why are you anxious for the rest? Consider the lilies. The second thing he said to consider is the lilies. How they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. If then God so clothes the grass which today is in the field and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O ye of little faith? Keep going for me. And do not seek what you should eat or what you should drink. Neither have an anxious mind. For all these things, listen to this, the nations of the world seek after. And your Father knows that you need these things. But seek the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added to you. Keep going for me. Do not fear, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell what you have and give alms. Provide for yourselves money bags which do not grow old. A treasure in heaven that does not fail, where no thief approaches and moth cannot destroy. For where your treasure is, there, somebody say there, there your heart will be also. And I want to talk again this morning on the thought, drawing closer to the Lord. Get a little closer. Come on, how many know deodorant is a blessing? Remember that old commercial, air it extra dry, get a little closer. 
I come to tell you today that Jesus wants to draw closer to his people. It's my conviction that the hungry want to draw closer to him. If you believe that, say amen. amen. Father, we thank you for this morning and we thank you for the work of your spirit. We pray today, God, that through the preaching of your word, that the anointing would come and break yokes, that lives would be changed and transformed. Somebody's mind needs a bath today. Wash us in the water of your word. Sanctify us and set us apart for your glory. I pray everyone in this place would be sanctified, set apart, and become meet and useful for the master's use. So touch your people today, I pray in Jesus' name, and everyone who loves him said amen. amen. You can be seated in the presence of the Lord. So last week we began this sermon, this message, this word from the Lord regarding the proximity that you and I have with Jesus and the impact that getting closer to him can have on our lives. I taught you this, this last week and I, I'll use this again just as a point of illustration. If you were not here last Sunday, this will not make sense to you if I begin to talk about it and don't reiterate it. So I did this last Sunday. In Luke's gospel, the 12th chapter, the first verse, it says, an innumerable crowd was gathered with Jesus. Say innumerable. Most theologians believe there were somewhere between 40 and 60,000 people who were with Jesus in Luke chapter 12 as he began to preach and teach this sermon. You have Jesus at the center of this. You have some disciples who are with him, and then you have 40 to 60,000 people. How many know that's a lot of people? And how many know back then they didn't have line array speakers and they didn't have amplifiers and microphones? So, so last week we talked about this, that if you wanted to hear what he had to say, you had to be close to Jesus. And so the people out on the crust couldn't hear what he was saying. And as we begin Luke chapter 12, verse 1, this sermon that Jesus preaches goes all the way through Luke 13, verse 9. It's a lengthy sermon. He's talking to a massive group of people. The Bible says it begins with as an innumerable, innumerable multitude. Verse 4 says that some friends were there. Look at this with me. So we have a multitude. Within the multitude, we have some friends, verse 4 says. Luke 13 says that there was the crowd. And in Luke, 22, in, in Luke 12, verse 22, it says that the disciples were there. And then he moves beyond the disciples and calls us the flock. My point is this. 40 to 60,000 people, within that massive group, there's a crowd. Within that crowd, there is a, a, a handful of friends. Within that cr crowd of friends, there are disciples, and then there is the flock that are close enough to hear the voice of the shepherd. If you don't get close to him, you cannot hear what he wants to say. My concern for the people of God in this message is that God may be speaking, but 
we have removed ourselves from closeness with him and we are not picking up on what God is saying to his sons and his daughters. It doesn't matter what kind of instruction I give my children if while I am speaking they are too far away to hear what I have to say, then my word to them cannot bring them the instruction. It cannot bring them the information. It cannot bring them the joy that I intended for them to receive in saying what I was trying to say. My point is some of us need to get closer to God. If Jesus is at the center of it all, then why are we hanging out on the crust? If Jesus is at the center of it all, then why are we content with being in the crowd? If there are 40 to 60,000 people in this group, then how many know somebody was not able to hear what Jesus was saying? If you want to hear what he's saying, you got to get closer. Look at somebody and tell them you got to get closer. That's what we talked about last week. That was a three-minute summary. But today I want to talk about what he actually said. When he pulled them closer, what did he have to say to them when they got close enough to hear his voice? It's interesting to me that what I'm going to share with you today was not said to the crowd. What I'm going to talk to you about today, he did not share it with the crowd. The Bible is clear. He said this to the disciples and the flock. And if you're not close enough to Jesus to hear his voice, you will miss out on these three things that he told his disciples in Luke chapter 12. The first thing he said is, do not worry. Which explains why so many people do. Because it is the voice of Jesus, the good shepherd, that looked at his flock and said, whatever y'all do, don't worry. If you're standing in the back of the crowd of 60,000 people and he says, don't worry, you have no clue that he just said, don't worry. So what do you do when you don't hear him say, don't worry? You walk around doing what? Worrying. When you're miles away from Jesus and you have distanced yourself from the Lord and you are not seeking and pursuing the king or the kingdom, then this world has a way of absolutely wearing you out with worry. And let me tell you what I know about worry. You cannot do it and worship at the same time. Worry and worship do not exist in the same moment. If you ever begin to worship God, it will expel worry out of your room. It will move worry, which is why God always invites us into moments of worship where we make him the big deal and we stop thinking so much about what our problems are. Do not worry. Look at somebody saying, neighbor, don't worry. Look back and say, be happy. <laughs> Don't it feel better? You, some of y'all smiled. You ain't smiled all morning. Don't worry. Be happy. If you're not close to him, you don't know that he's saying you don't have to worry. If you're not close to him, no wonder worry has got your number and is wearing you out. Let me tell you some things about worry. 
I am convinced that a person who struggles with worry and constantly finds themselves living in worry is at a distance with God. Worry is unproductive. Worry is an insult to God. I'm going I'm to say something to you. Every time God has ever come through for you, every time, big, little, small, whether it's happened once, twice, or a hundred times this week, every little fingerprint of God that you've seen in your life is an invitation to you to trust him completely and conclusively, watch this, and to get comfortable actually feeling good about where he's taking you. I think some people in this room think it is an earmark of true humility and spirituality to not have confidence regarding your tomorrow. As if, as if we can't talk about what God is up to in our life or we can't get excited about what God is doing because we've always gotten built up to be let down and God's going to let us down and I'm worried about my family and I'm worried about my finances and I'm worried about my children and I'm worried about my man and I'm worried. What you need is not chicken soup for the Christian soul. You do not need another prescription. You need to get up. You need to get a little closer to the a shepherd and hear the voice of the one who is not tormenting you over hopelessness about tomorrow. He is speaking loudly for those who will come close saying, do not worry. If you don't get closer to the king, you'll be overcome with worry in the day that we're living. And in order to re reinforce this, Jesus brings two different teachers into the classroom to teach us a, a, a lesson called Don't Worry 101. This is the class Jesus took his disciples to on that hillside. It's a class, it's, it's a 100 level class. Don't Worry 101. How many ever had that class before? Don't Worry 101. Who's going to teach us? Jesus tells us who. Mr. Raven and Miss Lily. He says, Mr. Raven. Consider the raven. The word consider, uh, it's a verb. And you know that in the Greek, however, it is written in the aortist imperative, which means this, do it right now. Which means that literally while Jesus was teaching, ravens were flying. He's standing there teaching and he said, let me take y'all into a classroom and let me show you uh, 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 who's going to teach you today. Who's going to teach us about not worrying? You ready for this? Mr. Raven. Look at Mr. Raven. He doesn't sow. He doesn't reap. He doesn't have barns. He doesn't have houses to put store, house, store, store stuff up in. All he does is fly and eat and I take care of it all. Some of y'all can't handle this. Religion told you, you got to worry some. If I don't worry, it won't get taken care of. How many ever heard somebody say something crazy like that? If I don't get, if I don't do it, it won't get taken care of. Now, let me be clear. This text is not an invitation to laziness and aloofness. Okay, so this, this, this text is not an invitation for you to quit your job. That's good teaching, Pastor. It's not what he's talking about. He's not even saying that we don't sow and reap because the Bible's clear in the second book of Corinthians, the ninth chapter, whatsoever a man 
that shall he also. So we're not, what he is saying is that God is so good that a raven that doesn't even have to, to, to wake up in the morning and sow a seed to get a meal by lunchtime. He said, I, I, I am so cognizant of the bird that I took care. Of. This is crazy to think of the omniscience of God that of the billions of birds on this planet, all of them woke up this morning and ate. And God is the one that prepared the meal. And you're sitting in here and can't lift your hands and can't say praise the Lord and haven't whispered hallelujah all because you're nervous about your light bill. And God would say, if I took care, I am hollering, but I feel something down in my soul. All because... If the Lord fed the ravens and the sparrows and the, and the woodpecker and every other bird in the bird kingdom, how much more will he take care of you? Are you, he asked this question, are you not better than the birds? Aren't you better than the birds? Worry is an insult to God. You are literally saying, I have reason to, but I've, I continue to not trust you. How many have children? Anybody's children have a cash app card? I hate it. It's become the most convenient way for daddy can I. Just yesterday, my Jude and my Zion went to get dinner. They wanted to go to Jersey Mike's or some sandwich shop. And so Judah said, can you put some money on my card so I can go get what I need? She didn't even stand there long enough for me to say yes. She just asked me and then went and got in the car. And I thought about that for a moment. You know why she does that? She knows that I, if being her father, I am going to make sure she gets a sandwich. She trusts me so much, she asked me and turned around and walked off like a boss. Can I tell you something? God is inviting you to ask him and turn around and walk off like a boss. So y'all can't handle this. Y'all can't handle this because religion got you believing I'll always be last. It'll always be probably not. It might get good enough to be maybe, but it sure can't be yes and amen. But I want to preach what the Bible said, not what some crazy religious somebody told you. You don't serve El Chipo. You serve El Shaddai. He's got all power. He will take care of you. Woo. Woo. 
realize what kind of dad it would make me feel like if my daughter came and said, Daddy, can I go get a sandwich? And she's, she stood around and looked worried about it. I would feel like a horrible father. And yet so many times we treat God some sort of cosmic, mystical being instead of Abba. You will live a life of worry if you don't get close enough to him to hear his voice. Well, I want to hear his voice. I want you who tell me you want to hear his voice to take inventory of the time you spend in his word and in his presence. You cannot say, I want to know the voice of God, and you haven't studied the language book of God, and you haven't been in the presence of God for him to speak to you. God does not want to be an interruption into your busy life every day. Oh, see, this is too much right here. It's almost like some people are mad that God didn't interrupt their schedule. God wants to know you want him. Send him some signals. I'm here, I want your presence. Well, I don't know how to pray. Talk to him. Just ask, I need you in my life. Like prayer has not got to be in King James vernacular. Don't worry. Do you know this is a fact, a scientific fact? People who worry live shorter lives. And what's crazy is they worry trying to extend their life. And Jesus says in this text, who by worrying can add one moment to the rest of your life? You not only can't add a moment to the rest of your life, you actually can shorten your life by poisoning your body with all kinds of things that make life worse living and shorter at it. So don't worry. Second thing he says, for those that are near him, he's talking to his disciples and he says to his disciples, don't worry. He said, number one, consider the ravens. And the second thing he said under this don't worry clause is consider the lilies, how they grow. How many have a garden or anything you've planted in, in, in and around your house? Lift your hand if you plant. Okay, how many have ever planted something that grew and it did what the picture showed? <laughs> how many have ever planted something and you're like, that ain't what I bought? I mean, it looked green and red and white and beautiful. You went home and planted it, it was brown. I mean, it died, and you're like, what happened? How many know this? How many know that by standing there and worrying about that lily um, or that flower or that tree, how many know that, that that flower that is supposed to be growing and supposed to be vibrant and supposed to be living, how many know that if it doesn't grow and it doesn't happen like it's supposed to, it's not the problems, it's not the fault of the plant more than likely, it's the one that planted it. Okay, if you plant it right and do what they tell you to do, it's supposed to grow. It's supposed to bloom. It's supposed to be beautiful. But no one in this room has ever stood watch over a flower and told it to grow. And then the flower is like, okay, I'll grow. The flower doesn't have to work to grow. Why? Why doesn't it have to toil and spin to get beautiful color and become what the picture showed it to be? Why? Because God 
speaks to the flower and says to the flower, you're going to be beautiful. This is crazy. Every beautiful flower that you've ever seen, God decorated that flower. See, y'all can't handle this. The glory of that flower is greater than Solomon in all of his glory. Why? Because when it says they do not toil, lilies don't toil, they don't spin. What does it mean they don't spin? He's li it's literally a word that is used uh, among the tailors and the seamstress when it said Solomon, all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these flowers. What it literally is talking about is that King Solomon, who was perhaps the most glorious king in all the Bible, he had his own personal tailors who would sew and they would put his, 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 his uh, uh, robe together and it would be majestic and beautiful and he would step out of his palace and he was decked out and he was robed and they had spun the, the, the thread and made a beautiful beautiful robe for him and Jesus says that a lily is more beautiful than Solomon in all of his glory and never one time did you see a flower worrying about growing it never woke up worried about what it would wear because God decorated and dressed the lily and put beauty all over it. And here's what he said. If he clothes the lilies, how much more will he clothe you? Some of you struggle with this today. You think, yeah, this is for the super spiritual people. Actually, it's not for the super spiritual people. It's for the people who will hear and choose to believe that the God we are worshiping today is really good. The first time we ever sung that song, it's one of my favorite songs, and JoJo sings it so amazingly well. If he dresses the lilies with beauty and splendor, and my first time hearing that, I was worshiping, and Judah was standing around. Judah sums up with Judah today. I was worshiping, and I said, how much more will he dress you? Judah said, Dad, that's not the words. In fact, Dad, that's kind of weird. How much more will he clothe you? <laughs> he, he, if he put the color on the lilies, why do you panic about what you need for life? I'm going somewhere. We get worried over stuff that has already been taken care of. It's already been taken care of. Second thing he says, first of all, don't worry. Look at your friend and say, don't worry. Be happy. Second thing he says, don't seek things. Oh, Jesus. Th this, this is where we get all jacked up in the church because just a few verses earlier, Jesus tells them to beware of covetousness. One translation said covetousness. Another one said greed. He does not condemn wealth. He condemns greed. What's the, what's, what's the point? The point is I know poor people who are greedy. And I know wealthy people who are generous. 
I'm just saying that the money is not what's evil. Money simply reveals what's evil. I lost all my help right there. When you start talking about money in a church, watch how many people get up in the next five minutes and start acting like they got to go to the restroom, but don't come back into the building. Because we don't like to be told or talked to in the church about money. But the reality is the kingdom of God will reveal in what's in us and it will use money to do it. He said, don't go seek things. Seek the kingdom. If you will seek the kingdom, I'll add all the things. Okay, this is too simple. Some people are looking at me funny, so let me read the Bible. The Bible said in verse 29, do not seek what you should eat or what you should drink or have an anxious mind for all these things, verse 30. Can you put this on the screen, Chad? Verse 30. For all these things, the things we need in life, the nations of the world seek after. Why is this one of the most important scriptures in this entire sermon Jesus is preaching? That scripture right there is one of the most important uh, uh, scriptures in the entire sermon. Why? Because that scripture reveals the difference between living as a citizen of the kingdom and living simply as the citizen of a nation. I'm getting ready to say some stuff right here. You better be careful that your confidence is not in your government to be your source. The nations of the world are seeking this stuff. Entire people groups and nations and organizations are trying to come up with a way to meet the needs of their citizens. I just need to make an announcement that my hope and my provision does not come from some political group of people that like me one year and the next voting cycle they act like they don't know who I am. Some of y'all ain't going to like this because government is your God. But my God will never be government. My God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. And some of us need to get our mind back on being a citizen of the kingdom. Just help me. Holy Ghost, help me. You ready for this? I'm going to say something to you. The government will, I'm not talking about just our government. I'm talking about the governments of the world. They will let you down, which is why I don't understand why we spend more time in the church talking about citizenship in inferior kingdoms rather than preaching the kingdom of God where we have a king who knows what we need before we ask him. Nations are looking for this stuff. Why do citizens of the kingdom of God walk around living like we answer to the government and the nations when we have a kingdom living inside of us and if we will just seek the kingdom, 
everything we need will be added. Stop. Because someone hears that and doesn't believe it. You've stopped believing that your king and the kingdom of God is able to supply for you. That's why you're mad and you're frustrated and you're running around anxious and everybody who knows you, you keep everybody tore up because you ain't got no peace inside because you've stopped trusting the king to supply your needs. The, one of the greatest messages I ever heard on tithing, Torrance Farmer preached a year and a half, two years ago about tithing. I don't tithe out of contract. I tithe because my king has supplied. All of this crazy arguing that happened three months ago because a big name preacher got up and said, I don't believe in tithing. I don't care. If I were tithing because of what you thought, I never would have started tithing. And if I stopped because of what you thought, I never would. I tithe because I was nobody going nowhere. I had nothing. And the king of glory opened up the windows of heaven and blessed. Why wouldn't I want to give him at least 10? At least 10. Ten's where you start. And you don't start when you're 40. I started tithing when I was 17 years old. Never heard a sermon on it in my life. Called my mom and said, send a tithe check in. She said, what's that? Said it's 10%. We had grown up in church my whole life and never heard one sermon. Me, my mom, my dad, my sister, we'd never heard one sermon on giving because giving was always in the way. And we said spiritual things like this, let's get the offering out the way. Like what if the most spiritual thing that happens in the service is that you actually give God something that costs you something? No wonder people don't tithe. We have to beg them to clap their hands. And when they clap their hands and break a sweat, then they act like they did all of us a favor, but they'll stand in the river bend line for four hours holding their hot chocolate and their folding chair to listen to somebody in mosquito infested. God, don't get me started. And then we come to church and nobody wants to praise God and everybody's mad we talk about money. This is not some little church on a little corner talking about a little God doing little things. This is the kingdom of God. I better quit because this is the kingdom. Caesar gets what belongs to him. We talk about tithing and everybody thinks, I ain't doing that, bless God. I ain't giving nothing, bless God. And no wonder when the first thing hits, we have no peace and we have no confidence. We haven't walked in the kingdom. We haven't sought the kingdom first. We sought it when it was convenient. 
But I want to tell you right now for the people who've got a made-up mind and a spirit that has been, that you've already decided, hell or high water, everything I got. And this is what, this absolutely blows my mind. People th say things like this. Well, I reckon I'll tithe. Yeah. He told me it belongs to God. Let me give you a revelation and clean some up. It all belongs to God. Everything we got belongs to God. When I work for it, who you think woke you up this morning, uh, boss, and gave you the strength to work for it this week? Who do you think gave you that idea for business or that inheritance that was put into your hand? I tell you, you've got to get your mind to shift and see Jesus as the king of the kingdom. Don't, and here's the thing. Jesus makes this so simple. You cannot seek things and the kingdom at the same time. He simplifies it. You seek one or the other. And if you have greed in your heart, it will keep you from seeking first the kingdom of God. Stories told of a wealthy young banker. He had just bought a new Mercedes-Benz. He's driving around a sharp turn on a mountain in the middle of a snowstorm. Car gets away from him, slides away from him. And the car is sliding and hanging on the side of a cliff. And he loves his car. Brand new car, brand new Benz, he's all excited. But he knows if he stays in it, he's gonna die. So he decides while the car is beginning to fall off the side of a cliff, he decides I'm gonna jump out of the car. Jumps out of the car, in the middle of jumping out of the car, he rips his shoulder, tears his clothes. In fact, the young man is mauled pretty bad and he loses his arm when he jumps out of the car. A trucker sees it happening, pulls his big tractor trailer over, runs over to check on the guy. The guy's bleeding to death and he's standing there saying, my car, my car. And the man looks at him and says, sir, you got bigger problems than the car being gone. Where's your arm? And the guy says, my Rolex, my Rolex. <laughs> Greed. Nothing worse than getting what you want. And when you get it, it don't fill the void and you keep wanting something else. Never happy. Unsatisfiable. Paul says something very powerful. He says, I have learned how to be content in having much and in having little. And let me tell you what he said, I've learned it. I've learned it. Anybody here learned how to be happy in both ways? If you don't learn how to be content when you don't have much, I can almost promise you, promise you you'll never have the joy of having much. If you can't have joy, listen, y'all, listen. People always talk about me and Devin at Christmas time because we got nine Christmas trees. Nine. I got 72 kids, so I should have nine Christmas trees. But the first year we had Christmas, if you would have seen that joke of a Charlie Brown Christmas tree, 
six limbs and a couple of little ornaments. And we came downstairs on Christmas morning, our first Christmas morning, looked at the tree, held each other and started crying. She said, let's go to our parents. I said, okay, let's load up and go. We couldn't handle it. What's the point? I actually have no clue. But <laughs> yes, I do. Okay. <laughs> the point is, I still, I still remember that first Christmas. And we were happy we had each other and we have this nasty little Carl Charlie Brown looking Christmas tree. And now we have nine trees. And we're happy with that as well. But you know what? We didn't allow the Charlie Brown Christmas tree to define us. And I wish some people in the room would hear me today. You, you need to quit going in debt to buy stuff that make you look as good as the people you're trying to impress. Learn to be content with little and learn how to be content and, and, and kind when you get much. And don't go seeking things. Amen. Last thing he says, number one, don't worry. Number two, don't go seeking and chasing things. And number three, verse number, uh, verse number 32, do not fear. Do not worry. Do not seek things and do not fear. Now look what he tells them not to fear. He says, my little flock, which we talked about last week, I love that. It is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Don't be afraid. Listen, he's about to address the fear that we all have, and that is selling out for the kingdom. He's about to address the fear we all have, and that is being totally sold out to the kingdom. What if I sell out to the kingdom and I don't get it? What if, some, what if I miss something? What if I get, get all in and I go 100% in for the kingdom and it doesn't happen? And Jesus says, don't fear that. It is your Father's pleasure to give you the kingdom. You don't have to work this up. What you have to do is be all in. And most people are in to the point of convenience and then they're not in anymore. And Jesus said, if you'll get all in, the Father is going to open up the kingdom for you in such a way. He said, this is the, this is the, the way you could trust it so much that, that now this is hard, but you have to choose if he's your king or not. You have to make the decision if Jesus is the king of the kingdom you are a citizen of. And look at the invitation he gives us not to fear. And then what does he tell us to do? Something that would make us all very afraid. Go sell stuff and give your money away. Okay. <laughs> do not fear, little flock. It's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell what you have and give it away. Provide for yourself money bags which do not grow old, a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and moth cannot destroy. Anybody else read that and they're like, ooh, that makes me very afraid. Is he, is he suggesting here that we shouldn't save? It's not what he's suggesting at all. 
Is he suggesting here that we shouldn't work hard? That's not what he's suggesting at all. Is he suggesting here that, that a 401k or a 403b or some sort of mutual fund or some sort of savings account is, is somehow unspiritual? Or No, he's not saying don't be prepared. He's not inviting us into um, a, a, a financial um, just carelessness. What he's saying is, don't be more interested in how you're going to take care of yourself than how you're going to trust the king to take care of you. If you trust all of your saving and all of your doing and all of your scheme and all of your strategy and you don't trust the king, then you'll never have this fearless, worryless life. You'll be overcome with worry. Help me, Jules, I'm transitioning. You'll be overcome with worry and you'll be overcome with fear. I'll never forget the night before the greatest miracle this church ever received financially. The night before. Actually, rewind. I have to rewind because I have to tell you what happened way before the night before. Something like 40 days before this night, my son Isaiah had a birthday party. It was the biggest single birthday party I've ever seen an eight-year-old have. I think we went to some place and it was one of those things where you pay per kid, per head of each child and I'm like, we didn't invite this many people. And we kept paying, and so he has all these friends, and everyone brought him a gift, and I think he got like $500 that night for his eighth birthday. It's like, it's like pastor appreciation, hallelujah. It's, enjoy, son, this is amazing, right? He had that money, and he was going to buy a Lego Death Star. How many know Lego people? Any Lego people? Okay, it's the big thing at $500. I was relieved because I didn't have to buy it, right? <laughs> he saved his money up, he had it, he's gonna go get it. The night before we took up an offering for the orphanage we were building and the missions projects we had going on for our church, he comes to his mother and I and he's crying and he says to, to us, I want to give my birthday money to the orphanage in Guatemala. The Lord wants me to do that. Eight years old, no one provoked him. I, in fact, tried to talk him out of it. Because I knew I was going to have to wind up buying a toy. It's true. I'm repenting to you all, but it's how I felt. It's cleansing as I tell it. I'm like, are you, are you really sure about this? You know, Devin's like, <laughs> baptize him. Hallelujah. It's going to be powerful. Okay. So this is how we roll. We just... Somebody, when she said baptism in the new wine, people were like, what is she talking about? Get here tonight. Some of y'all need it. Trust me. You just, you need some new wine. I promise you. Isaiah gave his birthday money in that offering the next day. The next morning, he goes out on the front porch of our house and there sat a Lego Death Star that I didn't buy. And he freaked out, and I did too. I was really thankful. And, <laughs> and over the next 40 days, 
Over the next 40 days, he kept saying to me, Dad, God's going to give us a million dollars. And I kept saying, okay, great, Isaiah. And we were getting ready to begin paying the principal and interest on the new building we had built in Ottawa. And the money was getting tight. We were getting down to the wire, and I was getting stressed. And he'd come to me at the most stressful times, and he'd say, Daddy, God's going to give us a million dollars. And I'd shoo him off. Okay, whatever, son, cool. One day, he said it to me, and it was at the wrong time, and I walked away, and I told God, I said, he has more faith than I do. And the Lord said, because he gave me everything he had. And he trusts me at a level you're not trusting me right now. It's a true story. I got so convicted. Several weeks later, in a deacon meeting, we gave away, our church, the largest amount of money to inner city ministry right here in Chattanooga. This is before we were ever in Chattanooga. It was, it was substantial and I was sick at my stomach. I, either, I knew we had either heard from God or they were gonna run me out of town. And we gave it away to ministries who were getting the job done with kids and were busing kids in and feeding kids. We just wanted to be a blessing. What did you do that night? In that one deacon meeting on that Sunday night, we gave away more money to inner city ministry than our church had ever given. This is 10 or 12 years ago. What were you doing when you gave that away? Well, I'll tell you what we weren't doing. We weren't thinking about ourselves. We were thinking about how we could advance the kingdom and meet the needs of other people. And every dollar we gave, what we didn't know then is that we were creating what Jesus said, money purses. Provide yourselves money bags. I didn't say it. Don't get mad at me. He did. When you, when you give things away and you're generous, you're storing up in a spiritual kingdom. You don't even know what you're doing. You just know that from a good, generous heart, you're trying to demonstrate the love in the heart of the Father. And what does God do? He said, they want my kingdom. And I had no clue what I was doing. And the next morning, we gave that away. And at lunchtime, I'll expedite the story. You know, if you've been here any length of time at all, in one lunchtime, the next day after that night, we had no clue what we were doing. And the next, everybody say the next day. The next day at lunchtime, $4.2 million was given to our church. Now, wait a minute. You gotta hear me. You gotta hear me. Are you telling me that to get me to sell everything I have? And no, we've already taken the offering today. Now, if the Lord's talking to you, if the Lord's talking to you, we'll see you on the way out. Hallelujah, okay? It's not about taking the money today. This is about checking your heart. Don't tell me you want to be a citizen of the kingdom if there's no generosity in your spirit. Because if greed poisons our soul, we will trust in what we have. And there's this scripture 
over there in the same chapter, the 15th verse, take heed, beware of greed and covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of the thing he possesses. And here's the crazy, ironic thing, and I'm done. We try to keep all we have so that we don't worry. The more I keep, the less I'll have to worry about my future. And actually the reverse is true. I feel a heaven breaking open over someone. The more I am generous, the more I don't have to worry. I'm letting it soak. When are we gonna shout? You missed it right then, it was a good place. Some of us are worried today because we're greedy. I'm not cri being critical, I've lived there. But we think, I gotta protect what little I have. And God says, trust me with what you have. And I'll open up heaven and the kingdom over your life and everything you need, stand with me, everything you need will be added. Don't worry, don't chase things, and don't fear. And the only way you can live that kind of life is to get closer to him. How many wanna draw closer to Jesus this morning so you can hear his voice? Lift your hands all over this room. Father, I pray for the people of God right now. Lord, sometimes we allow distance to get between you and us and our life is so filled with worry and it's filled with care and it's filled with fear. The further we get away from you, the more messed up we feel in our hearts. So, so draw me nearer, nearer, blessed Lord, to the cross where thou hast died. Draw me nearer, nearer, blessed Lord, to thy precious bleeding Lord, I pray for anyone who feels a million miles away from you today. In fact, if you feel like you're far away from God, but today you wanna to get closer to him, while heads are bowed and eyes are closed, would you lift your hand if I'm talking to you? I, I know you love Jesus. I'm not talking about if you're saved. I'm talking about if you just feel like you're at a distance and you wanna draw closer to him today. Lift your hand, I wanna pray for you. I wanna know who I'm praying for. God bless every one of you all over this room with your hands up. Everyone that has their hand up, you can put it down. Why don't you just reach over gently, lay your hand on your neighbor's shoulder. Will you do that right now? Because there were so many people, hundreds of people lifted their hand. Let's just pray for each other like our neighbor wants to draw closer to God. Can we pray for each other now? Father, we just pray for our brother and our sister right now. Today, draw us closer. Give us grace to draw closer to you. The invitation has been sent. 
Some of us have been too distracted and some of us have been too preoccupied and some of us have missed appointments and dates with you. We've missed moments and special times with you. We'll never be able to go get those times back, but today we resolve not to live the rest of our life at a distance. Draw us closer to you, oh God, I pray. And I pray that as we come closer that we'll be more tuned in to hear the voice of the Spirit of God speaking to us today. And your voice, Lord Jesus, is not a voice of condemnation or fear. In fact, it's a voice that says, don't fear, don't worry, don't chase things that this world has to offer. As citizens of the kingdom, you already have the promise of everything you need. Just seek first the kingdom. So today, I pray today, God, that we'll get our priorities right, that our pursuit would line up and that we'll come after you. Bless your people today. In the name of the Lord, we pray. And everyone said, amen. Let's give God praise all over this room this morning. Come on. Listen to me. I wouldn't miss tonight. I want you to get back. Something special is happening. So many lives were touched and changed this week. We saw God do the most amazing things and miracles. And I just believe tonight it's just continuing this morning. Just continuing. Get here tonight. See you at 6 p.m. Go in the peace of the Lord. Friend, I believe God is a miracle-working God, and the greatest miracle that God could ever work in your life is the gift of salvation. And I believe today somebody's watching me who says, Pastor Kevin, would you pray for me? I want to give my life to God. I want to serve the Lord. I want Jesus to save me. Let's pray this prayer together today. Mean it in your heart. Say, Dear God, I repent of my sins. I turn to you today, Lord Jesus, believing that you're the Son of God, and that you died for my sins. Forgive me, Lord Jesus. Come into my heart and be the Lord of my life. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Listen, friend, if you prayed that prayer, I want you to go to kevinwallace.tv, and I just want you to drop us a prayer request and let us know that you gave your heart to Christ. Our team want to pray for you. We want to make sure that you're in a good, loving, Bible-believing church wherever you're from and that you continue to grow in your walk with Jesus Christ best days of your life are still ahead of you and we're praying for you today. God bless and look forward to seeing you next week right here.